Oh, good morning, church. You've had breakfast, I hope. Yes. No? Well, if you haven't, uh, this is a big meal, and it's good food. Uh, we're launching, as Pastor Sheldon mentioned, into our fall series, and we're grounding it in the book of Nehemiah, which really is a treasure of a book, and yet probably not at the top of your reading list when you open the pages of Scripture. But imagine, if you will, a situation where you feel like the challenge is formidable, the workers are few, there's not enough funding, the task feels overwhelming, the situation is urgent, and there is not much time. Kind of feels like life in the church, in, in Canada, in this new millennia. The book of Nehemiah speaks into exactly that kind of situation. It reads like a blueprint for a job that's overwhelming, when the workers are few, when the time is short. And what Nehemiah outlines is a five-step process for doing ministry in those kind of situations. What I'd like to do this morning, really I want to do two things. I want to give you a blueprint or a roadmap for reading through the book of Nehemiah, which you'll be doing together in small groups for the next five weeks And then I want to do a deeper dive into one of the features, not just of Nehemiah, but of Scripture itself and one of the pillars of the plan that we're unpacking in this series. First, though, into Nehemiah, the five-step process. And if you have your Bibles, if you have your devices, I'm going to have you open them up and look with me first in Nehemiah in chapter 1, in verse 3. Things are not going well for the people of God who just returned to the province of Judah. In verse 3, it says, They said to Nehemiah, Those who survived the exile, they've come back into the province. They're in great trouble, and they're in disgrace. The walls of Jerusalem are broken down. The gates have been burned with fire. Now realize that, that this is not just physical devastation. This is spiritual devastation. This broke the heart of God's People. It was symbolic for what was going on on the inside. And you see that today, too, right? If you drive around and you see a dilapidated home and neighborhood, you know it says something about the condition of the people who live there. Nehemiah says, when I heard these things, I sat down and I wept. And for days I mourned and I fasted and I prayed before the God of heaven. What is the first step in Nehemiah's plan? It begins with a broken heart. A broken heart is the first and best weapon in any vision for for reaching a generation. Does your heart break for the world around you? Does it break for a member of your family? Does it break for the families who share homes on your street, who share apartments on your floor? Does your heart break? Out of a broken heart, Nehemiah launches a desperate prayer crusade. Have a look in verses 5 and 6. I said, Lord, the God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keep his commandments, let your ear be attentive. Let your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant that is praying before you today, both day and night, for your servants, for the people of Israel. The first way we are going to fight for our churches, for our families, for our neighborhoods, for this generation that we serve is on our knees. Behind every great work of God is the silhouette of men and women on their knees. 
Listen, I don't want to pretend that we have all the answers, all the solutions in the strat plan that you looked at and approved a couple of weeks ago. There is no magic bullet and there is no secret formula, but we can pray. We can pray first. We can pray fast. We can pray often. From the wounds of a broken heart, prayer comes spilling forward. Prayer for a generation. Prayer that God's Spirit would be released and would have its way in our churches. Here's the third step in understanding Nehemiah. I'm going to have you look ahead a little bit in chapter 2. This is a preview of what's coming. In chapter 2, at the, at the beginning of that chapter, it says, Early the following spring, during the 20th year of King Artaxerxes' reign, the king asked Nehemiah, Why does your face look so sad when you're not ill? This can be nothing but sadness of heart. And I was very much afraid. But I said to the king, May the king live forever. Why should my face not look sad When the city where my ancestors are buried lies in ruins, its gates have been destroyed by fire. And the king said to me, what is it you want? And then I prayed to the God of heaven and I answered the king. If it pleases the king and if your servant has found favor in his sight, let him send me to the city in Judah where my ancestors are buried so I can rebuild it. And may I have a letter to Asaph, the keeper of the royal park, so he'll give me timber to make beams for the gates of the citadel by the temple and for the city wall and for the residence that I will occupy. And because the gracious hand of my God was on me, the king granted my requests. And one more leap forward. Have a look at those verses between Nehemiah 11 and 15. Just glance through them and you'll see When Nehemiah arrived in Jerusalem, he gathered together a team of experts and he went out and he began to inspect the walls. Out of the prayer is born now a dream and a plan. This is not a haphazard effort. Nehemiah does a thorough inspection of the problem. He clears the red tape. He begins to assemble all the necessary resources. There is more to ministry than just a broken heart and a prayer. We need our best people, our best administrators, our most courageous leaders, our most visionary planners, our most generous benefactors in order to fulfill the plan. And really, that's kind of what this series is about. We need you. We are you. There's no division between the stage and the floor, between the leadership and the followership. In fact, we're all leaders, and we'll get to that next week. But we need you. If we're to formulate the plans that will unleash our church and prepare it for this new day, we need you. Here's the fourth thing. Keep this in mind as you're reading through Nehemiah. Uh, Forward again to chapter 3 now. As we're going to glance through there, we'll start at verse 1 and then work our way through, uh, skipping to verse 3. And then Eliashib, the high priest, and the other priests started to work. They started to rebuild the sheep gate. Verse 3, And the fish gate was built by the sons of Hassaniah, and Merimoth, the sons of Uriah, and the grandsons of Hakaz, repaired the next section of the wall. 
And beside him were Meshulam, the son of Berechiah, and the grandson of Meshezabel, and then Zadok, the son of Baana. And then there were the people from Tekoa. And then reading on, it said the old city gate was repaired by Joiada, the son of Paseah, and Meshulam, the son of Besodea. And beside them were Melatiah from Gibeon, and Jadam from Maranoth, and people from Gibeon, and Mizpah. And there's more going on here than just a list of names you would never pick for your kids. Right. What you have is an army of workers standing shoulder to shoulder up against the wall, engaged in doing the work of the plan. It starts with a broken heart. It launches a desperate prayer crusade. Out of that comes a dream and a plan. But now there has been mobilized an army of workers in order to do ministry effectively. We need an army of workers. We need an army of workers who've been given a new outlook on why the church exists. It's no longer for them. It's for the people who aren't coming yet. The underlying goal of, of most churches is survival. If our goal is survival, we won't. Our people need to know that they can make a difference. Our people need to know, we need to know that this is too big for our church alone. We need to join hands with the rest of the workers in our town prepared to enter the battle for a generation. We need to mobilize an army of workers. And here's the last thing. Have a look now at at chapter 4. And we're just going to zero in on one little verse. Chapter 4, verse 23. In trying to rebuild Jerusalem, Nehemiah fought against enemies from the inside and from the outside. It took tremendous resolve. Have a look at verse 23. It says, during this time, none of us, not I, nor my relatives, nor my servants, nor the guards who were with me, ever took off our clothes, and we carried our weapons with us at all times, even when we went for water. (laughs) I'm not suggesting we start brandishing swords at our board meetings, but... But we can learn something from the resolve of Nehemiah. Whatever it takes, whatever it takes, we'll get it done. That must have been the motto, incidentally, for the four guys who who carried their friend to Jesus. You remember the lame man and Jesus was in town and they got to the house and the house was overcrowded and the doors were closed and the windows were barred up, but they looked up on the roof and they thought, well, we can do that. And they hauled him up to the roof and they, they parted all the grass thatch roof there and they lowered him down. The last time anybody ever says you can drop in while well, Jesus was here. But whatever it takes, we're going to do whatever it takes to get our friend to Jesus. Whatever it takes to reach our neighborhood and our city and the GTA because we'll have all eternity to celebrate God's victories. But we really only have a few short days to win them. The job is overwhelming. The workers are few. The time is short. That's Nehemiah. And that's us. It didn't stop him. It won't stop us either. So let's, uh, let's pray. And then let's jump right in. That we begin this journey. And as we do so, we place ourselves in your hands. And we do so with resolve. We're not even sure 
exactly where we're going to land, but we know that you are going to lead us and we're going to be open and receptive and fully surrendered to you. Speak to us now, we pray. In Jesus' name.